Welcome to Breakthrough, a podcast series where we meet the entrepreneurs and innovators behind now famous companies like Deliveroo, Farfetch, Mumsnet, and Bulb to reveal the stories behind their industry transforming businesses. Brought to you by Second Home, Index Ventures, and Sifted, these talks were recorded at Second Home Clerkenwell Green as part of our Breakthrough Fortnight in London. In this podcast, Hayden Wood, co-founder of Bull, the exciting company that's changing the face of energy, and now the UK's biggest green energy supplier, chats about how he and his co-founder, Amit, grew the business from just the two of them to a team of over 400, named the UK's fastest growing startup, and one of the first unicorns founded at Second Home. They were voted Startup of the Year in 2017 and number one in the 2018 Startups 100 list. What's, I guess, tell us a little bit about what Bulb actually does in case anyone has been living under a rock and doesn't know. And what's the kind of, I guess, core innovation at the heart of Bulb? Hi. Um, okay. So we are a renewable energy supplier, um, which there are a, f- a few of. Um, the thing that we do differently to other companies is... Um, about £300 of your energy bill is made up of like, operating costs for that, that, for that energy company. Um, and that cost is made up of customer service and getting your bill right and taking payments and things like that. And we're, because of the way we set up the company and the way we use technology, we're able to do that um, for about £50, which means that we can then massively reduce people's energy bills um, and make sure that they're buying renewable energy and offset their carbon emissions um, and give them good service, um, which, uh, yeah, which is, which people, I get, yeah, that's what people want, apparently. So jumping massively forward yeah. in the bulb journey, four years on, you've just announced that you're launching in Texas, <laughs> yeah. France and Spain. Yeah. How will you continue to keep that £300 down as you get? massive yeah uh, so, yeah so um well it's per household and 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 so the more there are it, like, it, it's, it is getting complicated being a bigger company but um but those unit economics are we've actually been able to reduce that cost over time um and what we're also able to do is and i think we'll be the first energy company to do this globally is that we can use the technology that we've built in the uk um and then apply that same those same systems to energy markets around the world, mm-hmm. um, and so we'll be able to use the same software in Texas and in Spain and in in in, uh, in France. And so, actually, one of the reasons we're doing this is because our mission is to help our members reduce their bills and lower their carbon emissions. And um, and we've noticed that there are lots of other countries where they don't have an alternative to the to the incumbent to the to the mm-hmm. company that was created when when the industry was privatized um so yeah so we just sort of went through that list and worked out which ones we we could go to and um we thought the first set would be those three so tell the room some fun facts about texas and why that's an enticing market yeah i mean i don't know much about texas um other than that uh about 60% of, well, a bit more than 60% of all people in Texas are with, um, yeah, with the incumbent. Um, 
people spend about one and a half thousand dollars on their on their bills in Texas because they have a lot of air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, How does that compare to the UK? It's about fifty percent, fifty percent more. Okay, it's a lot. Um, Texans care about the environment. You know, they sort of they enjoy the great outdoors, um, and uh, and yeah, they're just you know. We can say we could save them a lot of money on their bills if we if we do what we're doing here over there. Okay. I mean, there's there's a lot of um, obviously like diversity within countries, um, and there's probably more diversity within the country than there is between them. Um, the th- the interesting thing about Spain, which we're learning about, is it's it's much more bureaucratic. Um, so you wouldn't believe the amount of paperwork and you know you have to get so many notaries to help sign documents. It's doing it's been really interesting setting up in france spain and texas all at the same time because you can just see how business gets done in different countries and and spain is is like so different okay, um, and what about the french what are you learning about them uh well the interesting thing about energy is it's it's highly regulated um and so uh governments use energy suppliers like us to make sure certain things are happening out in the world like in the uk uh, we have a really terrible housing stock. Our houses are very inefficient. Um, and so the government wants to, or has been for years, subsidising uh, improvements to people's homes to make them more energy efficient, which is a, a great thing. Um, but they don't do that through local government. They do that through energy suppliers. Um, and so, you know, what we've learned about France is that they have a similarly, uh, you know, like we do in the UK, they implement a lot of policy through energy suppliers. So we have to have a very um, close relationship with the ministry. Right. How do you make friends with the ministry? <laughs> well, we've we got a you know great country manager who's going to be who's going to be doing that. Okay. <laughs> and um, why three markets at once? Is that buying yeah, off yeah. a bit more than My you can chew? My mum asked me this. Um, she, she said I was bonkers. Um, we, we actually had people telling us we should do more. Um, they said that it's really great to have a community of country managers who can all draw on each other's experiences. And, you know, you, if you're doing more, you're definitely going to invest in all of the technology that you need to support those countries. Um, yeah, but I mean, uh, we also thought it also spreads a bit of risk if you do more than one. So, um, you know, it might not work might might something might go wrong um and so we thought three was a was a good balance between more than one but less than five right three's um, a good number isn't it it's it's better than two and four exactly and um you're also encouraging some of your employees to to go move to texas yeah tell us more about that yeah yeah well i used to work for a like, like a global company and it was really nice to be able to go and experience different cultures and see how people do things in different places. Um, and so we wanted to give that opportunity to the people that work at Bulb. Um, it's good. It's also good for, for Bulb, the, the company, to... Because I think one of the... We have sort of like principles with how we run Bulb. Um, you know, we want to make everything affordable. We want to deliver good service. We want to use technology where we can. And um, and so we thought that it would be good to have some people who've been in Bulb for a while who really like believe in those principles and and then have them work in the countries um, to help create some kind of shared 
yeah, set of principles because we know we're going to have to adapt the model for each country because consumers are different, like like you've been asking, and 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 regulations are different. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of good for good for the company and good for the team to. to Is have that, that something program. you've copied from other companies that have expanded? Is that a kind of best practice to implant people in the new markets? Yeah, I don't know. I've spoken to some people and they said it's a good thing to do. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, we're just going to see. I think we, we, there's about, yeah, there's about 30 people who want to do it and we'll see, we'll just sort of do it and learn and see what they thought of it and yeah. make it better over time. But there are, there, there are, when you speak to other companies about how they've gone international, a lot of them say that it's important to have um, some kind of cross-pollination between the, between the different countries that you have. So zooming back right to the start, right. um, did you ever think that you'd be going to Texas? No, I, I grew up in Canterbury. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the start of bold. Oh, right. Um, uh, no. What, 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 the when, first... you, when literally when you and Amit set it up, like what was kind of, yeah, what I remember, was the big so, dream? Yeah, so we had a, so I, I'd, I'd worked in a job where I had to do a lot of PowerPoint so, um, so we met, the first thing we did was we did our Excel model and, um, PowerPoint, and then we moved to Google sheets and, and slides. But, um, the first thing we did was we did this, this PowerPoint document where we sort of set out what we were going to do as a business. And we used that to go and raise money from friends and family. And, um, when and you say that, friends and family, like this phrase, I just always gets me. Are they your actual friends? Are they like your uncle's mate who works in private equity? Like who are friends and family? Well, yeah, well, I can tell you ours. So I was a bit shy. I, I didn't feel great. I, I just didn't really have the confidence to ask my friends um, to Because invest. you might lose them loads of money. Yeah, um, Exactly. Uh, which they're a bit annoyed about now. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's still time. <laughs> yeah, I, I do feel bad about that. Um, but but uh, friends and family for us means Amit's friends and family. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's like, it is actually some, you know, so you have some friends who work in a bank and uh, and they get paid like, you know, they get paid like a hundred thousand pound bonus or something. And so you say, you have to pay a lot of tax on that. Why wouldn't, you know, why mm-hmm. don't you put some of that through the SEIS or EIS investment yep. program and give that to us and we'll, we'll have a go at, at doing what we did. Okay. Um, and it's also, it's people like, uh, yeah, like parents, friends and uncles and people who you've, well, I actually, I did actually, a couple of people so yeah people who you've worked with people you know mm-hmm. you kind of approach them and you say we're doing this what what do you think and then they they ask if they will are they, they, are they normally invest. just very polite and then don't answer your emails for a while or what's the general reaction if when you, you ask people to invest at the start yeah uh god i remember it's such a it's such a crack out you uh because you sort of you need to get people to invest otherwise you can't start um but it's a weird thing because it's like you have a social relationship with these people and you don't really, you're not, you know, you don't, I don't, you don't go and ask people for money all the time. Um, just, you know, in a normal day. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I remember back when we were raising, we needed to, we needed quite a big first rat seed round. Um, so how much did you, so how we much raised, you raising? we raised 1.3 million 
off that presentation that we made. It's that's quite, that's quite a good presentation. Um, and uh, and that's quite that's quite large. So speaking to other founders since then, they kind of have multiple rounds, and, and you mm-hmm. kind of raise a few hundred thousand at a time. But we um, because because the government controls energy so tightly, you need to go through all the regulatory sort of hurdles in order to become a supplier. It's not like you can kind of fake it for a bit yeah. and not be a supplier and then become a supplier. Um, and so we had quite a large set of costs that we had that we had to sort of pay for at the start. So yeah, so um, that's that's how much we raised. And and the in the end, it, it came about because there's probably a group of about ten friends who uh, all said to each other, "Well, I'll do it if you do it." Okay. And then um, I guess we were just quite lucky in that one of them did it, and then yeah. the others did it. And um, I and to be honest, the the support that we've had from all, all of them has been actually it's 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 really nice to know that you have people like supporting you and backing you i think yeah. that gives you a bit more courage in the fir- in the start when you're yeah. yeah when things are tricky and what was at that point what was the dream you were selling them yeah sorry i was going to get so so in that in that presentation we said that we would add uh 20,000 customers a year and that if we did that we would get to break even after 12 months and we might be able to give people <laughs> their money back yeah. um, after about three or four years. Uh, which is f- so for fast forward to now, um, we had 20,000 customers in a week. Um, and it's just, it's like, we never imagined that it, it would be like this. So we thought that what we could do is we could start up a company that we were really proud of and that did things in a, in a good way. Um, and kind of proved that it was possible to give good service, to keep your prices down, to help people reduce their energy usage, so that then the larger energy companies would would sort of see that and, mm-hmm. and imitate it. Um, but then have it they ha- done that? No, um, <laughs> but I think they. Tr- I think they are. There are some really cool things that that different energy companies are doing. Um, so, like British Gas invests lots and lots of money in Hive and trying to trying to help people create a smart home mm-hmm. and things like that, which is, you know, the intention is to help people reduce their usage. Um, but it, yeah, they, yeah, not for large numbers of people. Yeah. So after you raised that 1.3 mm. million, what happened over the next year? Was it looking good from right from the start or were there points where you were like, Ooh, shouldn't yeah. have given up the day job. So we got it, we got it out you know, we got the product out quite quickly. So that was good. Um, so we had all our, you know, our website and app and, um, actually the app came a bit later, but we had the website, we had our emails, we had all the operate back office operations working. And so we built this thing. We thought, great, you know, this is, this is, we're really cheap. Um, we're giving people good service that people are just, people are just going to come in. It's going to be fine. Um, and they didn't, like, no one switched. So we had, we had to get 20,000 customers by the end of the year. And we were at 300 for the first few months and got up to like 3000 in the, in the sort of summer. And then I really started to panic because we just, well, we didn't want to go and ask for more money and we were going to run out of money in about four or five months time. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, and we couldn't work out why people weren't switching because it was a really, it was like, we knew people cared about how much they paid for their bills. We knew people cared about renewables. Um, but everyone was like, oh, it's too good to be true. I've never heard of these people. They don't seem, it doesn't seem legit. Um, you know, we were in second home trying to get everyone to sign up. People were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'll do it later. Um, no, actually, the second home community did support us um, in their switching. <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> Just a, two or three people here. Um, uh, you know, even even friends. You know, you invite someone to your wedding, and then and then you know, everyone on the wedding invite list gets sent an email saying, you know, you should switch the bulb. Pre GDPR days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did not have a legitimate. Sort of, <laughs> excuse for that um but uh but yeah they would they wouldn't and then they'd switch a year later and they go oh i just switched and i'd say thanks why weren't people doing it (laughs) um yeah it was it was too good to be true hadn't hadn't heard of us and then we realized that there's all of this kind of loss aversion really interesting behavioral economics around like you don't want to be the the sort of odd one out if everyone's getting a bad service from british gas if you've got a really bad service from this unknown supplier, you look you look pretty silly. So we kind of started putting all of these uh, like trust sort of icons right, on Right, like Trustpilot type stuff. Trustpilot was really important for us. Um, people think being a B Corp was really important for us. We, we just sort of did that for ourselves. But then when we realised that actually people, mm-hmm. a lot of consumers see that and think that it means that you've met some kind of service standard right <laughs> which isn't about that b corp's about meeting social and environmental standards and but um pr was also really important for us so people read about you in the newspaper and they kind of assume that you're a bigger thing than you are which which papers or which publications or which sites like really move the dial yeah um everyone's favorite newspaper the daily mail uh that makes a big difference um, we got, I mean, to be honest, it was the kind of, it was places like, it was the, it was places like Courier and, 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 you know, yeah. There My previous employer. Yeah. Um, and those people who, who wrote about us that, that, yeah, that was the start to that. Um, I, I mean, I remember, I mean, this is around the time of Brexit. We were just talking, we were, we would, we would get rolled out as the voice of a, of a startup, um, so right. we would we would talk about Brexit. <laughs> um, that helped uh, in its yeah every cloud, I guess. And then um, and then actually one of the big things was price comparison sites. So they control about half of all the people that switch. Um, so convincing them that that we could go on those sites that was a big um, that was a big change. Yeah, I mean, so many, we made so many blunders on, uh, that was a bit that I was responsible for, was growth in the start. And so we made so many mistakes on that. But by the middle of, by about nine months after the start, uh, we'd finally got the, the trust stuff on the website. So we were, we were, um, we were just, we, we did so many dumb things. I remember standing in a, in the uh, KPMG office at lunchtime with a clipboard trying to sign people up. 
because we thought maybe this is a thing. Maybe come, you know, maybe maybe we can just go into offices and sign people up with like people and clipboards, and that that didn't work. It wasn't very scalable. I think one of the things we realised was that you needed to just have stuff that you could, uh, you could like, if it worked, you could just set it up and let it tick over week on week on week. And then if you just had a, like a few of those that you could test and learn and iterate on and, and improve that were scalable, unlike having someone standing with a clipboard <clears throat> in an accountancy firm, yeah, um, then then you could begin to you could sort of begin to scale it more quickly. Um, you have a referral program as well, don't you? But How? that came that came a bit later. Okay. But yeah, that wasn't that that was important. Um, we do we have a we have a referral. Our, our chief marketing officer has quite a nice thing he says about this. He says um, it's much nicer to grow by giving money to your members than it is by giving it to large media organisations. Mm-hmm. And that's um, he's in the audience. Uh, Hi, Russell. Yeah. And so that's a, and, and, and I, you know, I agree. It, it is a really nice thing to, for us to be able to do. So we have like, yeah, give 50, get 50. And we have some people who are real super referrers. Um, so there's a, a quite well-known comedian um, who, who? I, I would, wouldn't be appropriate for me to say, say, say who it is. But, you know, they refer hundreds and hundreds of people. It's made a, it, that in back back then again. It made a, like a massive difference for us. Why do you call your customers members? Um, that's a bit pedantic, isn't it? So we we thought that uh, energy companies gave people really bad customer service, and we wanted to kind of not have this um, barrier between us and the customer. We wanted mm-hmm. to kind of bring welcome them in. Um, we were in second home at the time, so I guess maybe we were influenced by the by the the, the member word there. Um, we had a, a community that was like right from the start. We wanted to have a community mm-hmm. where we where people that were members of Bulb could suggest ideas and changes, and the company could adapt to those things. Um, yeah, it was. We wanted to sort of change the relationship that that we had with yeah the people we were providing energy to. So I think the the customer service thing, again, you call them energy specialists. Mm. Um, I think that's super interesting. And it's obviously something that a lot of fintechs also, you know, they've like the digital banks, for example, they've said like customer service at big banks is shit. We're going to do it differently. We're going to really invest in this. But it's it must be super hard because you've got like quite two quite different teams, I guess, haven't you? You've got your kind of core, like, well, not maybe core is not a fair way to describe it, but you've got your like tech team and your product team and your mm-hmm. growth team and, and that whole team. And then you've got a whole nother set of staff who are customer service. Has that ever been tricky? Having the sort of two types of... Yeah. Um, I think we've done pretty well at staying one team. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been really, really deliberate about it. I remember in the early days, uh, our, en- our early engineers said, look, it's too noisy in the office. Um, we, we are, what we need to concentrate for our work. We need headphones. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to wear headphones. So we want a quiet office just for us, um, that we can go into and do our work that requires concentration. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else, um, whose work doesn't require concentration 
can go somewhere else. Those engineers. <laughs> yep. Um, and so that was hard because you do kind of make things a bit more difficult for people to work if it's, if it's noisy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always wanted to have, uh, a kind of a team of people who work really closely together. I think one of the, you know, that advantage that, that we have versus other energy companies where we're able to work that cost down and like improve automation and efficiency, that that comes about through collaboration between our technology and, and product teams and the people who are working in operations. And so if you, if you create a distance between those people, it, it, that, that, that is reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, so at Bulb, we have we have all of our every single one of our product teams will have people from the operations team who are seconded into it. Um, we have the way we're organised in the office. We go, you know, we go like product experience, product experience. We're sort of mixed up, um, and I think that's and we, you know, I think little things like that have made a really big difference in how we work as a work together as a company. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else? you've I guess growing a team so you've also grown how many members of staff do you have now um I think we're at 430 and it was like 100 a year ago or something yeah it's been it's been quite the last 12 months has been um like yeah quite extreme so if you could go back 12 months ago what would you do differently (laughs) through that crazy growth spurt so we've got only got half an hour. <laughs> um, loads, uh, so so much. I guess what would I do differently? So I guess I would do three things differently. Um, the first thing I would do is I would definitely hire ahead of where we needed to. So we just constantly been behind on hiring, mm-hmm. and that creates a lot of stress for everyone because everyone's always like late with their staff and there's always more to do um i think the second thing is um we i mean we just hired a chief people officer like three weeks Ooh, ago a bit late yeah 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 <laughs> so that was and again it is is you know you always you have to remember to hire for when you're constantly surprised at how fast you're growing you you then you 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 don't hire for like the company that you're going to be in mm-hmm. two years time or whenever that is. So I think we finally got to grips with that. Um, but I, the second thing I would have done is hire that chief people officer sooner to make mm-hmm. sure that all the processes and people processes are in place. And then the third thing is um, when you, when we've having grown so quickly, um, not only do you have to hire a lot of people and then they get up to speed on how to do what they're doing, but you create, um, you create really, like really quite significant demands on the people who are like managing those those new hires, mm-hmm. and uh, and that is that's very important. When you go well for us, when we've gone from like it used to be just like like a small team with, um, and so I would know everyone, and we would all kind of communicate directly with each other and, and make decisions. And I think there's something that changes when you go from. Um, like a team of teams so then there's three layers Mm -hmm. and then when you go to four when you have teams of you have someone who's managing a team and then there's someone who manages a manager of a team and then there's another person who manages a manager of those teams and then there's Mm -hmm. the senior leadership team you have it's you you have it's really hard to to have 
sort of feedback between all of those different layers, things get lost. Um, and so I think a year ago, we, well, we didn't know that was going to happen. And so I think I would have implemented some, we like, we could have implemented some, like, some training for those managers and different mm-hmm. processes to make sure that different layers are communicating with each other to sort of handle that complexity. What about you? You've gone from running a team of you and Amit to 400 people. Yeah. How, how are you being as good as you need to be to do that? Yeah. I mean, probably, probably not as good as I need to be. (laughs) Make a lot of mistakes. Um, I think you, I think there's a few things. So the one is around, um, like learning, it's really hard to learn ex- sort of at the rate that your role requires it. Mm-hmm. So um, making sure that you have a network of people that you can talk to about things that have some experience and have done things before. Um, Is that like other founders or investors or who, who are the useful people? Yeah, all, all of those people. Um, so investors are helpful because they invest in companies, other companies, so they've, they have they can recognize patterns between mm-hmm. what, what they're doing, but they also have, um, we, we're very lucky. We have lovely investors, but they, they, they have a slightly different interest, right? They are um, investors. Yeah. Then there's, um, I'm part of some really great, there's a, there's a really cool thing, uh, like tech, tech, tech nation, I think it's now called in the mm-hmm. UK. So you can be, become part of these programs like upscale and future 50. And, and so then you get introduced to a, group of companies who are at a similar stage to you um and having that peer-to-peer support is really important yep. uh, it's really lovely to to have we have sort of and what i still i joined that two years ago and i still meet up with the group of people who are sort of heads of companies that are at similar Who's stages your favorite i couldn't possibly say it's uh it's a very you know you have to be very confidential when we when we're sort of because we we share like a lot with each other mm-hmm. and it's it's uh so yeah, so they're all great. Um, and then um, I guess the other thing is that there's uh, like, men- I guess you just have mentors, don't you? You, you sort of, you meet people who, um, I don't know why, but they're extremely generous with their, their time um, and they, they can give you advice. And I think that's a really important thing. Um, and my wife. Is there one thing that happened in the history of Bulb that was like a, a pivotal thing that happened? Pivotal thing that like happened in the history of Bulb? Like things shot up afterwards. Was it that Daily Mail article or? No, no, we won't give that to the Daily Mail. Um, I mean, there's a few. So, so one, one uh, when we were still not really growing, um, we were... I think I was running our Google AdWords account. So um, search is quite important with with energy. If people are thinking about switching energy supplier, they're gonna they're gonna Google it. Um, and I and I uh, so I started doing this, and I I called my my old friend who I used to work with, who'd gone and worked at Google, and I said, you know, Joe, you whenever we meet up, you're always talking to me about how incredible Google is and like what an amazing resource it is for businesses. Um, but it's just not working for us. CPAs are way too high. Um, just maybe it's just not relevant for this sector. And he said, y- y- you're doing it wrong. 
Um, and so he uh, introduced us to a bunch of different agencies um, in London that help companies do this. And we worked with this uh, agency called Brain Labs. And that was a, that was, that was a real transformation for us. I, I, you know, Joe, Joe saying, stop trying to do it yourself. And get, There's a get reason Google's big and important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I also wanted to ask a bit about the kind of where you see the future of energy going. Cause I think that's mm. super exciting and, and Bulb could potentially play a really interesting role when yeah. we're all driving electric vehicles and we've all got solar panels, even if you live in Scotland and, and whatever. So tell us about that. Um, that's why, I mean, so when we were, when we, when we were starting, Ryan Amit and, Amit and I kind of quit our jobs and started working on the, the presentation and the model. Um, and we worked out quite quickly that we could have the cost advantage. But at that point, we had a kind of crisis of confidence and said, it's not enough just to have this cost advantage because eventually people will just copy what you do and then you'll all be in the same industry, yep. like completely commoditized, no one uh, um, with, with no, no advantage. But the thing that gave us uh, the conviction to actually raise the money and start was that we saw that energy was changing, um, that you had all this new technology well, it's not, it's not like new, solar panels aren't new, but they, around uh, 2010, solar panels started to become much, much, much cheaper to produce um, because of the accumulated experience that we have in manufacturing solar panels. So, so at that point, I think a solar panel, the cost of producing a solar panel had come down by 99% since the 1970s so it's a huge huge reduction and that that trend continues today um and so we were seeing that there's this there's this instead of energy being this really centralized large you know it's centralized system dominated by large companies where um they're vertically integrated they own generation um they those those power plants are outside of cities miles away from people that power is shipped over grids um long distances um, and then used by people in their homes. And, and when people are using it in their homes, they just pay the same rate all day long, no matter like when they're using it, mm-hmm. no, no matter what the sort of, no matter, no matter how much demand is placed on the grid, which drastically increases the cost. Um, that, that because, of, because of these new technologies, so solar panels, lithium-ion batteries, um, the electrification of transport, all of those things are going to change the way we relate to energy. Um, so if you imagine that there's someone who, outside of London, someone who like drives, they commute to work. Um, in, in a few, well, there, there are people doing this today, but in a few years' time, the majority of people will be doing this. Um, you will have an electric vehicle. That electric vehicle will have a large battery in it. Um, you may well have your own generation at home so you'll have solar panels on your roof you'll have another battery in your garage um, which is storing the power from your solar panels while you're not at home during the day Um, and the home will at times be feeding energy into the grid and so there'll there'll be someone else who's who's using it at the other end and other times you'll be drawing it down from the grid 
Um, and that whole kind of like two way relationship is, we just didn't think that, um, British gas and EDF would like do that, would be able to provide that kind of service to, um, to customers. And we thought that, that we thought we would be, we could do that. We thought that we could kind of catalyze that change. And we thought that if an energy supplier was there that made this really complicated, confusing system, easy to understand, and they were trusted, um, then you could actually kind of contribute to bringing that thing about sooner, um, which is a good thing because it brings costs down and it reduces carbon emissions. Um, and so that's, that's the, that's, that's kind of why we're, why we're doing the whole thing, mm-hmm. um, is to, is to bring about that new system where, uh, where there's a bit more, there's a bit more of the kind of energy infrastructure in people's homes. And there's a bit, bit more control that people have around where they get their energy from and how they get it. So you said you were, you realised right from the start, like just being cheaper isn't going to be enough because at some point other people will crock on to, oh wait, if we do this and that, we can also be be cheap. So what do you think is Bulb's kind of USP? Like what what protects you from the, the competition now? Is it is it the trust thing? What What is different about Bulb and what will stay different in the years to come? I, I guess we're a bit different from, you know, this is quite, this is quite scary for investors, but I think we're a bit different from uh, your cl- your classic like marketplace startup, um, where you have this natural like network effect. People always talk about network effects, which is basically a monopoly. Um, we we don't really we don't really have that. There aren't massive economies of scale in what in what we're doing. Um, the but what but what we do have is and I you know when we were talking about this back in the day, we would say, yeah, we'll be like Ikea (laughs) because I, you know, we will just continue to innovate, continue to improve what we're doing. So all we have really is, um, the technology that we have that we develop like Mm -hmm. really rapidly. Um, we have the relationships that we have with our customers that we earn through giving them good service and being Mm -hmm. honest with them. Um, and then I think we'll we'll be able to. I think if we can if we can innovate and we can continue to give good service and we just have to kind of stay in front, then that's 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 what we're doing. So it's we're not we don't really yeah. Loads of VCs just rejected us because um, we didn't have a technology moat and we didn't. You I was going to say, is the word moat going to come up? Yeah, yeah. And so that and that, that, yeah, that wasn't really our. That wasn't. That's not really what what we do. I'm going to open it up to the audience who has a question. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming. Um, I So in a previous job, I, I actually visited a renewables company in, what was it, in Houston. And the guy that was like kind of showing it to me told me that a big problem with renewable energies was that they could not store them. And so, um, I mean... Is this a problem for a company like yourselves? They're trying to put everyone on renewable energies. Do you think there's a moment where the amount of customers you can acquire will cap because you don't have more renewable energy to supply them? Or or did the market evolve since I met this guy in 2015? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he's, uh, he's right. That's one of the challenges is renewable energy is intermittent. Um, solar panels only work if there's the sun that's shining so you don't get much out of them at night uh wind turbines 
don't generate electricity when it's not windy. But I, this is a really positive thing about what we can do because all of these problems can be solved and we need to solve them because we can't keep burning things to generate the power that we need. Um, and so what you're seeing now is that there's a mix of different forms of generation. Um, you have a lot of storage that's being positioned in the grid, both in the homes that we were talking about before, but also you have storage that's being built at the site of, of, of generation so that it smooths that intermittency. Um, you have a lot, one of the storage is, I'm going to get a bit geeky now, um, but storage is really, uh, I, I find really interesting. So it has different time uh, sort of elements to it. So you can have storage within a day is important because you have peak peak periods in energy usage around seven o'clock in the evening when people are cooking dinner. Um, so you need to be able to build in some flexibility in the grid. So you need to store the electricity uh, in order to meet those peak periods. You also have storage um, from, say, week to week. So you might have, uh, I don't know, in the winter it might be really cold and you need you need to provide more power over the two or three days in order to meet those, um, those load requirements. The third form of storage that you have, which we have in the Northern Hemisphere, is you have seasonal storage. Uh, so in the summer, we generate huge amounts of electricity that we don't need um, because the days are longer and people don't require as much heating. Heating is one of the biggest draws on, uh, on, on, on energy. But then in the winter, um, you, you have shorter days, so there's not as much energy gen- being generated from solar, and you have a huge demand for, for energy as people are heating their homes. And so you have this sort of seasonal storage requirement where you need to sort of in some way store the energy from the summer and then use it again in the winter. And, so, and people use different technologies for those different types of storage requirements. So you might, you can use a battery to store energy for, say, 24 hours. You can't really use a battery to store energy that you generated in July to be used in someone's heating in March. It doesn't, doesn't work. Um, and so traditionally what we've done in Europe is we've used gas to, to provide that. So you have these huge gas stores um, that are actually like under the sea in the North Sea. So when we've when we've used all the gas from a uh, from a gas field in the North Sea, they then pump gas back into it because it's a good storage like container, which I always thought was quite cool. Um, and so we use gas at the moment. We're going to have to work out how we don't use gas for seasonal storage, and I think that's one of the big. No one's worked out how to do that. Um, there's a really cool plant outside Denmark that. Um, is taking hydrogen molecules that are that are created from excess electricity using fuel cell technology, combining them with uh, carbon that's been captured um, to create methane, and then you can store that methane in those same in that same gas network. But it's that's like one plant, and no one's really worked out how to do that. So yeah, I think over the next fifteen years, we're going to have to solve like those three different storage issues. I think everyone's pretty confident in how we store the the sort of 24 hour and seven day storage issues that's batteries but the big unanswered question is um is around seasonal storage that was a very long-winded answer sorry (laughs) thank you for coming sign up 
become a bold member sign up to the sifted newsletter it's excellent check out second home if you're looking for a very leafy office space and um thank you for coming Breakthrough is Creative Workspace Second Home's year-round educational program designed to help members make their dent in the universe. If you enjoyed this talk, check out what else is coming up at secondhome.io or follow us at at secondhome underscore io. Second Home, a workspace as creative as you are.